1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Brian Miller. He's an assistant professor of medicine and business at Johns Hopkins University, as well as a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. We're going to talk about something near and dear to my heart. It's a plan for the CDC to reform. It's long overdue. A column that he wrote on the Hill uh, co-authored. We'll also visit with William Yatman, research fellow at the Cato Institute, lots to talk about with regard to the final decisions of the Supreme Court and other things happening on Capitol Hill. And then Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston at Space Architecture and author of many books, his latest Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries My Life by Design uh, by Professor Larry Bell. It is July the 1st, if you can believe it. The first half of the year is over, and on this day in 1997, Hong Kong reverted back to the Chinese rule in a ceremony attended by the British Prime Minister Tony Blair, Prince Charles of Wales, the Chinese President, and U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. A few thousand Hong Kongers protested the turnover, which was otherwise celebratory and peaceful. In 1839, Britain invaded China to crush opposition to its interference in the country's economic, social, and political affairs. One of Britain's first acts of war was to occupy Hong Kong, a sparsely inhabited island off the coast of southeast China. In 1841, China ceded the island to the British, and in 1842, the Treaty of Nanking was signed, formally ending the First Opium War. Britain's new colony flourished as an east-west trading center and at the Commercial Gateway and Distribution Center for Southern China. In 1898, Britain was granted an additional 99 years of rule over the Hong Kong and under the Second Convention of Peking. In September 1984, after years of negotiations, the British and Chinese signed a formal agreement approving the 1997 turnover of the island in exchange for a Chinese pledge to preserve Hong Kong's capitalist system. On July first, 1997, Hong Kong was peaceably handed over to China in a ceremony attended by numerous Chinese, British, and international dignitaries. The chief executive of the new Hong Kong government formulated a policy based on a concept of one country, two systems, thus preserving Hong Kong's role as a principal capitalist center in Asia. In 2019, massive pro-democracy protests broke out in Hong Kong, over growing oppression from mainland China. And, of course, uh, China's not communist. Uh, They're simply a dictatorship, in my opinion, a transnational uh, criminal organization, uh, simply uh, seeking power around the world. Irrespective, that's the story turned over China on this day in 1997, Hong Kong. Well, it's coming up on the July 4th celebration, and uh, lots to celebrate, of course, because of what our Founding Fathers brought to us on this day. But uh, on, if you're looking for things to do, there's a 4th of July parade that's going down 3rd Street South, 5th Street Avenue South. It begins at 10 a.m. on noon, to noon on Monday, July the 4th. It'll, July uh, uh, 5th Avenue South will be closed off to traffic between 3rd and 8th Street South. And you can find out more by visiting FifthAvenueSouth.com. There's also fireworks, of course, at the Naples Pier, as there always are fireworks on July the 4th. You can bring chairs and blankets to watch the fireworks launch on uh, the 4th from a barge north of North uh, Naples Pier. The fireworks can be seen from as long all along the Naples Beach. Personal use of fireworks and sparklers are prohibited. By the way, parking's limited, so visitors are urged to. Uh, look ahead and find parking on the streets or in downtown parking garages or to walk take bicycles or use a ride service fireworks are launched at about 9 p.m it's free the pier will be closed from 6 to 11 p.m a lot of fun if you plan on driving down there and finding a parking space though takes quite a while to get out of there uh, uh word to the wise and then the of uh The 4th of July Fireworks Celebration, Collier County Parks and Recreation hosts the annual 4th of July uh, event with bounce houses, live entertainment, food trucks, and fireworks. That's 3 to 10 p.m. on Monday the 4th. Uh, You can find out uh, that's uh, overflow. That's going to be uh, at the uh, Sugden Regional Park. And then there's a fireworks cruise. This sounds kind of interesting. Get a front row seat from the water over the Naples Pier, uh, Pier Fireworks. The Sunset Cruise travels along Carlyer County's coastal waterways before stopping for the fireworks show. 7.15 p.m. Monday. Costs $145. Uh, includes dinner. And uh, it uh, should be a lot of fun and very nice. And it goes back, of course, to uh, Tin City. You can look, go to purefl.com, purefl.com to find out more. Well, Wall Street racked up more losses for stocks Thursday as the market closed its worst uh, quarter since the onset of the pandemic in early 2020. The S&P 500 fell 0.9%, its fourth consecutive drop. The benchmark index is now down 21% since it hit its all-time high at the beginning of the year. It entered a bear market earlier in June. All told, the S&P 500's performance in the first half of 2022 was the worst since six months, uh, the first six months of 1970. And in 1970, there was solid rebound after the first half decline. said Lindsay Bell, chief markets and money strategist at Ally Invest. This time around, the impact of the Fed, the impact of inflation, uncertainty where growth goes from here is really weighing on investors' minds. We just don't know when the clouds of uncertainty are going to start to clear. The market's steep decline this year has all but wiped out all of its gains from 2021, what a ban a year for a mar- market that was and has emerged from the previous bar mar- bear market in uh, 2020. Well, the chair of uh, the Congressional Committee on Wednesday berated Governor Ron DeSantis and Florida Surgeon General uh, Joseph LaPado for being uh, the only state in the country to not pre-order COVID-19 vaccines for children under five. The steps the Governor DeSantis has taken to impede access to life-saving coronavirus vaccines for Florida's young people have made it harder for parents uh, across the state to get the children vaccinated, and its promotion of anti-vaccine information is making it harder for parents to make fully informed decisions on how best to protect children's health. That, according to U.S. Representative James E. Clyburn from South Carolina, who chairs the Select Committee on the Coronavirus Crisis, all, by all, Also, he's the guy who used his political clout to make Joe Biden the Democrat presidential candidate. We can blame that on him. Anyhow, Lapato appeared uh, Tuesday before the subcommittee, defended Florida's opposition to COVID-19 vaccines for young children as a fact-based choice. The briefing came just days after Florida emerged as the only state in the country not to pre-order the vaccine for toddlers. Lapato said the decision was made in agreement with DeSantis, He and the governor believe that there's very little demand for it and remain affirmatively against it, despite the recommendation of federal health experts. In Florida, we don't recommend coronavirus vaccines for children under 18, LaPotta told lawmakers, according to its press release issued by the committee. LaPotta further asserted that there's little data proving that the vaccine is beneficial to young children and that they are at low risk if infected with the virus. There are 75,096 COVID deaths tallied in Florida. Only 46 are categorized under the age of 16, according to the Florida Department of Health. Lapata's remarks drew the ire of Cladberin, as you can imagine, who led the subcommittee uh, inception since its uh, opening since its inception. Congress established the subcommittee in 2020 to examine the pandemic and the nation's response. I urge the governor to abandon this dangerous anti-scientific approach and I strongly encourage all parents of young children to provide them with this life-saving protection of coronavirus vaccines as soon as possible. I'm not kidding he really said that with a straight face. That was according to Clyburn. Among other uh, criti- critiques, the subcommittee lamented that Florida did not allow doctors and healthcare providers to pre order the vaccine via the state until the Flood and, f- uh, Food and Drug Administration granted it emergency use authorization. The FDA's uh, vaccine advisors recommended the vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer for little kids on June the 15th. The panel of outside experts voted unanimously that this that the benefits of the shots outweigh the risks of kids under five, if you can believe that. Nonsense. They are the last age group in the U.S. without access to COVID-19 vaccines, and many parents have been eager to protect their children. Uh, the CDC advisors, advisors also recommended the vaccine. Lapado acknowledged its decision and defended it. He further acknowledged that foregoing the pre-order period may have resulted in a delay in the vaccine's statewide distribution. Here's his comment. We don't believe it should be offered at all, and we've communicated that to Floridians, Lapata reported poorly said. Tuesday's briefing marks Florida's latest resistance to federal health guides, guidance and leaders. While doctors may not order, now order the vaccine, Florida will not support the distribution effort, nor will they allow county health de- ed- departments to administer it. The subcommittee reported that more than 1.1 million children under five receive primary care at county health departments in Florida. Without the cooperation of Florida health departments, roughly 33,000 young children will need to seek vaccines elsewhere. Democrat officials in the White House fear the move will disproportionately harm the poor, the rural, and minority children. Yeah. So Lapata began uh, leading Florida's Department of Health in 2022, a Harvard graduate. He faced ongoing criticism over a slew of issues, including an order preventing schools from quarantining students exposed to COVID-19 and refusing to wear a mask in an office of a senator who has received cancer treatments. The governor's office, though, has repeatedly pointed to Lopato's medical degree, Ph.D. from Harvard University. He was actually an endowed professor at Stanford University as well. Uh, the University of California in Los Angeles, I should say. The only statutory requirement for Surgeon General uh, position created by the 2007 Charlie Crist governor is that the person be a physician licensed under the state law with advanced training of uh, extensive experience in public health administration. Lapato, I believe. The CDC and others, we won't, I don't necessarily believe at all. They've totally discredited themselves, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Brian Miller, the assistant professor of medicine and business at Johns Hopkins, about the CDC. Florida's new ban on uh, most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy was blocked Thursday by a judge, a day before it was to go in effect, and uh, Governor Ron DeSantis' office said the administration will appeal a Florida's judge uh, decision to temporarily block the ban. We are disappointed with today's ruling. We know that pro-life HB 5 will ultimately withstand all legal challenges, a spokesperson for the governor said. The Supreme Court, uh, Florida Supreme Court, previously misinterpreted Florida's right to privacy as including a right to abortion. We reject interpretation, this interpretation because the Florida Constitution does not include and has never included a right to kill innocent unborn child, a, a, a spokesman for the governor said. Here, here, I think that's so true. We'll appeal today's ruling and ask the Florida Supreme Court to reverse its existing precedent regarding Florida's right to privacy. Uh, As you can imagine, Planned Parenthoods and others are pulling out their hair as a result of all this. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know, and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Brian Miller, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: 4541
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And You can get tickets now and find out more. Visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Brian Miller. He's an assistant uh, professor of medicine and business at Johns Hopkins University and also a non-resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Professor Miller, thank you so much for joining us. Thank
2: you for having
1: me. Uh, Certainly my pleasure. Uh, Tell us about the American Enterprise Institute.
2: So the American Enterprise Institute is a think tank in D.C. and uh, houses a variety of scholars, uh, generally have an economics-oriented perspective and advocate in favor of private enterprise, uh, limited government, and democratic capitalism.
1: Thank you, Professor. Now, uh, you've written a column on The Hill, co-authored, I should say, it's called, A Plan for CDC Reform is Long Overdue. I couldn't agree more. Maybe you could tell us about it.
2: Uh, thank you. So as a practicing hospitalist, in addition you know, to being a citizen consumer out in the world, I saw the CDC sort of fall down every day over the past two years while it's was treating COVID patients. And this really came from three things. One is that the CDC's mission has drifted. So the CDC at its core should be a public health fire department. Uh, The agency is not accountable to the public and there aren't mechanisms for regular everyday citizens to provide feedback to the agency. And then the staffing model has shifted away from an agency that can be nimble in responsiveness to a bureaucracy.
1: You know, in addition to that, I must say they seem to be promoting uh, uh, big pharma as opposed to good health here for American citizens. I mean, pushing the the uh, the vaccines as opposed to talking about other things that really lead to good health uh, therapeutics for example for if people do get COVID but also you know behaviors that can lead to avoiding COVID-19 as well.
2: I would say actually the problem goes even deeper than that in that the CDC has drifted into areas that don't relate to communicable disease so for example, the CDC has focused on structural racism and climate change and other issues, yeah. which, while important public policy discussions that we should be having, aren't necessarily a core function of the CDC.
1: Would you agree? I, I To me, it just seems like uh, uh, the uh, CDC has lost a lot of credibility. And one of the big problems, of course, is uh, big business. And I'll think, uh, for example, cruise ships, uh, they always base their, their – uh, their policy on what the CDC says. And sometimes this, the information coming from the CDC is not accurate or helpful in terms of public health.
2: That's right. And I think the other issue with the CDC's decision-making where that comes from is, is that those who have a voice in key policy decisions are those who are politicized. So like non-pharmaceutical interventions, like public health masking in schools, you had the teacher's union mm-hmm. allowed to provide input, but you know, the PTA, our local PTA or national PTA did have an opportunity to bend the ear of the CDC directors. So the agency has politicized a lot of public health policy decisions, which should primarily be based upon science and economics, too.
1: You know, Professor, it's so refreshing hearing this coming from a credible medical uh, professional like yourself. Well, what, can, what can we do in order to get the agency back on track and be this uh, fire department, as you referred to it uh, earlier in the conversation?
2: Well, there are a couple things. The first thing is, is right now there is a review going on of the CDC, and it's from several federal civil servants from another agency, and they're working over the course of a couple of months. I think we can all agree that that is probably insufficient. Having one bureaucracy take a look (laughs) at and evaluate another bureaucracy is not going to be a recipe for success. It will probably end up papering over the existing problems. What we need is a congressionally chartered commission Composed of a diverse set of stakeholders, including those who run businesses, parents, uh, physicians, other public health professionals, lawyers, to take a look at the structure and function of the CDC, take it apart, and put it back together for the future.
1: So interesting. I would agree with that. And uh, what would be uh, in the perfect world? What would be some of the outcomes of a of a committee like that?
2: Very good question. So the CDC needs to. Get reorganized like any business government agencies are like businesses They occasionally look under the hood and you have to take them apart and put them back together So right now the CDC director has some numbers 15 direct reports And you could imagine if you're running a multi-billion dollar organization You meet with your key leaders for half of a, half an hour individually one-on-one every week Well in the case of the CDC director, that's an entire day's worth of work. So in terms of structure function, the agency, if it focuses on communicable, communicable disease, a lot of those other functions that it does looking at chronic disease prevention could be done elsewhere by the government or by the private sector. Then there, are, there's a the large call for more financing and more staff for technical investment. Well, we've already spent $2 billion over the past decade on public health informatics, so I think we need to look at where that money is spent. And then finally, on staffing, we have the U.S public health service, which is a uniform service focused on public health. Yet this represents about 5% of the workforce of the CDC. If we go look at another agency that has a core response function like the Pentagon, you have a variety of uniform services supported by civilians. So I think that the CDC should switch to a model similar dare say to the Pentagon.
1: Uh, so interesting. Uh, and be, just looking back, not to pile on here, but uh, after this uh, two years of pandemic that we've had, we've seen the economy uh, shrink. We've seen people get bad information about masking up. I mean, uh, information down at, that I see says that uh, masks are kind of like building a chain link fence in order to keep mosquitoes out. So they don't do much good, especially for children in school. So the, uh, the information that we've received that have given direction to businesses throughout the United States and to schools, Uh, Has it just been misleading and created more harm than it's done good?
2: And I'd have to say part of that came from the CDC considering risk and not considering benefit. Mm. And then public health decision making has not traditionally done a good job of, you know, considering basic economics. So if you think about the eviction moratorium, which, thank God, was struck down by the courts, um, you had hundreds of thousands of landowners, many of whom, were small businesses uh, trying to build capital and create a revenue stream, create financial independence, who the government used its public health police powers in the form of quarantine and said that you can't evict people for two years because that's a disease threat. Well, that's not really supported by evidence, and that's definitely outside of the scope of the CDC's authority.
1: It also raises suspicions around uh, the motivation. I mean, what's happened, of course, is many of these small uh, landlords who maybe own one or two units have ended up having to sell the units and probably off to a big business who then reaps the benefits going forward of these increases in rents. So it's uh, very discouraging. And again, you know, I just think, uh, Professor, that uh, your column is so needed. The information that you disperse is so invaluable. And I hope indeed that we'll see a special commission formed in order to investigate the CDC as well as other, other agencies as well. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. so. Oh, by the way, does the uh, American Enterprise Institute have uh, a website?
2: Uh, yes, it's AEI.org.
1: AEI.org. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman. William Yatman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com That's IamDesignedToHeal.com Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817 That's 322-3817 Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience.
0: Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you so much for having me on, Bob.
1: Always a pleasure. William, tell us about the uh, Cato Institute.
4: You bet. Uh, We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government.
1: Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So let's talk about what's happening on Capitol Hill to start. The House and Senate are out, but the committee, the January 6th committee, continues its surprise hearings. What are your thoughts?
4: Yes, surprise hearing on Tuesday, indeed, and they further announced. Um, the January sixth committee that they were going to continue into July. That was unexpected. They said they've got uh, new evidence. Um, and And my overall thoughts are, are sort of akin to what I've expressed before. Um, you know, to be sure, uh, I don't think um, the President's actions were presidential that day. However, um, I, I think this the, these January sixth hearings are irrevocably flawed. Um, they've got this show trial element, and, and that's because, as the Politico, as Politico uh, newspaper Politico reported this week, uh, the January sixth committee is the foremost element of the Democrats' 2022 midterm re-election strategy. Yeah, um, you know it's intertwined inextricably with, with their political goals, and, and the hearings just ooze that. Um, You know, again, that highly politicized sentiment. So it's just a very poor vehicle for fact-finding. And we saw it this week with this testimony uh, of Cassidy Hutchinson. And as I'm sure your listeners are well aware, um, she was testifying about what a Secret Service agent did, you know, uh, that the president allegedly lunged at him in a limousine um, (laughs) driving away from the Capitol. But then the gentleman that she was actually speaking about, the gentleman, you know, at the center of the story, um evidently is willing to testify that that's just not the case and that's a uh, um you know how could they do that? that 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 is to say how could the committee do this i yeah. mean how could they uh, this is a very controversial delicate important matter and how could they roll out this testimony secondhand, knowing that the first-hand source was going to contradict it? I mean, that, that, to me it just blows my mind.
1: Well, and, and further, it's a physical impossibility. I mean, there's a piece of plexiglass between the president and the driver. I mean, there's no way that he could reach, try to grab his throat, take the steering <laughs> you know, wheel. It's it it is so. It, the whole thing collapsed. Is totally discredited within an hour after it was completed.
4: It, like, I'll say this, and again, I'm I'm not defending Trump on that day, but I'm also not defending this hearing, and, and I don't think you're wrong. Like, I think that it, I did find her testimony to be somewhat discredited by the fact that it was a second-hand account, and the first person, you know, at the issue in the story, directly contradicted what she said, or evidently is willing to testify to that effect, so... Yes, I thought it was perplexing, and indeed, I thought it undermined the entire affair.
1: It kind of reminded me of Christine Blasey Ford and her testimony against uh, uh, the, uh, Kavanaugh. Unbelievable. Well, let's move. You know, we got a lot to talk about with regard to Supreme Court decisions, uh, and of course, we now have a new Supreme Court justice.
4: Indeed. So uh, yesterday at noon, Justice Breyer, um, he officially retired, and contemporaneously, um, new Justice Kintaji Brown Jackson was sworn in. So we've got a new composition of the court. Um, I would argue, I don't think it's. Uh, well, uh, we've discussed uh, uh, Justice Jackson before. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of good and a lot of bad, but we'll see.
1: I hope she has figured out what a woman is by now.
4: <laughs> oh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay, but let's let's uh, move to some of the decisions that were made because these are these are blockbuster decisions, in my opinion.
4: The, well, indeed, uh, you know, of course, there was Dobbs. You know, your listeners, no doubt, uh, they're familiar with that. But yesterday, there was one that flew under the radar. That uh, you know, I direct your listeners to a column this morning by George Will. He called it the most important decision this term. And that's West Virginia v. EPA. Yeah. And in the immediate, the, what it does, I guess, in the immediate, is that it denies EPA the authority to impose a nationwide cap and trade based on an ancillary provision of the Clean Air Act passed 50 years ago.
1: Yeah.
4: Um, more broadly, however, and this is what George Will was getting at in his column this morning, this decision is going to be uh, is going to effectively uh, uh, inhibit. Um, is, is going to make it less likely that presidents in the future will engage in this policy adventurism where they try to implement something that Congress failed to do by uh, giving an expansive interpretation of a long, extant statute. So this, is, uh, this has been a policymaking problem inside the Beltway, I mean, the federal government for a while, sort of a, this uh, presidential lawmaking. Um, And yesterday's decision is going to go a long way towards putting a crimp um, in, you know, sort of our our presidential power run amok and indeed putting the ball, the domestic policymaking ball back in Congress's court, which is where it should be.
1: I couldn't agree more. In fact, maybe I'm saying the same thing in a different way, but I think it tends to uh, reduce the power of the, uh, of the alphabet agencies in Washington, D.C., and uh, uh, make Congress more accountable so that uh, the presidents can't use executive orders in order to, uh, to really uh, legislate what's going to happen in the United States.
4: Bob, that's exactly right. Um, is uh, instead of the unelected bureaucrats rendering the decisions, it'll be our elected lawmakers in Congress, and that's exactly as our Constitution intended.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How about, uh, what are your thoughts on the R- Remain in Mexico uh, decision? They're kind of surprising in one way, but what are your thoughts?
4: Well, so, I mean, the, the, there's the substance of the decision, and there's the administrative law by which they came to the decision. And, uh, you know, I'm, the substance of the decision, I'm not an immigration policy expert, The administrative law, uh, it was a black letter, if you will. So I I don't think there was any surprises in that outcome. Um, But, you know, again, another consequential consequential case, I should say, and uh, I'll say this, that Remain in Mexico policy is another example of sort of how the president and not Congress is rendering these very significant policies, that is the control of the border. Um, so, I would hope in that area too, that is immigration, that we'll see Congress step up.
1: Absolutely. And it surprised me to see that there was a, a decision coming from the Supreme Court about the alignment of districts uh, and uh, gerrymandering in Louisiana. How did that get to the Supreme Court?
4: <laughs> I'll, you, I'll be perfectly frank with you, I am not up to speed with that case. But it being, I'll put it this way, um, as we discussed in the run-up to the presidential election um, and thereafter, um, a lot, you know, these election matters, they are local, but they can implicate implicate a, a federal constitutional, uh, either structural components or constitutional amendments. So I would imagine there was some sort of creative, um, you know, argument by a good lawyer down there Um, that federalized the case. (laughs) And that's how it got in the Supreme Court.
1: Yeah, I I must say, just on on balance, just taking a step back, I have to think that uh, there's uh, the Trump legacy uh, uh, involved in many of these decisions. I think there's smiles on the face of a lot of conservatives right now about what's happening. And I would say, uh, as well, uh, folks that in in your alignment of thinking, which are, and I'm forgetting the word, (laughs) Uh, people who are... uh, uh libertarians thank you indeed indeed uh, any other decisions
4: oh uh, no you covered it uh, but i will echo what you said um you know say what you will about trump but those are three great justices he chose.
1: absolutely again uh, william even research fellow at the cato institute i encourage you to visit the very robust cato.org c-a-t-o.org william really appreciate you coming on the show thanks so much for joining us thank you so much for having me on bob my pleasure indeed all right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, Classical Academies and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich
0: Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host,
1: Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It is a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website vfga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now, I, I wanted to just. Uh, Cover something very important to me. Dr. Zev Zelenko, a board certified family physician who saved thousands of lives during the COVID pandemic, died yesterday in the hospital and ICU. According to the Yeshiva World, Dr. Zelenko had been battling a serious case of progressive cancer for some time. He put out a video just days before he died. He looked so good, by the way, just surprised me that he died so quickly. In any event, uh, his protocol that he developed had a 99% success rate with high-risk patients. Dr. Zelenko claimed his regimen was a gift from God in response to tyranny. Here are his comments. I'm going to play his comments uh, uh, that he recorded just a couple of days ago. And uh, just listen to his uh, his attitude. What a great American.
3: Yeah, hi. This is Dr. Zelenko. And i'm making this video from my hospital bed i just want to give a quick update Uh, many many people have expressed their love and prayers and uh, i'm very grateful thank you uh unfortunately i uh had a mri and a transesophageal echocardiogram called a te and it found a tumor in my right ventricle that's the uh, lower right chamber of the heart. And on top of that tumor is a blood clot. Um, that's not pretty good news. It's not good news. And um, the treatment would be to go in blood thinners, which I'm on, to try to dissolve the clot. And then we have to figure out what to do with that tumor. Um, to be frank, if that clot breaks off, that's a ticket to the next world. Uh, also, there are more tumors around my uh, lower left lobe and my lung. So I'm in a precarious situation. However, as D- King David writes, even though I walk in the shadow of death, I, f- I shall fear no evil, for God is with me. And I do really feel that way in those w- words resonate in my soul more now than ever in my life and there is a Talmudic teaching that even if the sword is on the on your neck a person should never give up hope and so I'm in a very good state of mind and as I frequently said they're gonna have to carry my body off the battlefield because my resolve to help humanity, the the vulnerable, the innocent, decent people overcome this uh, terrible darkness and plague that is upon us, has never been stronger. And if I have to leave the world, uh, I accept God's will, but I encourage and plead with everyone else to up your game and and stand up and resist, uh, resist, first within yourselves against giving into fear and then resist publicly against the policies of tyranny which are coming again because it's pretty obvious what's going to happen right now the world health organization which is essentially funded by the sociopath gates is gaining uh, more and more power over sovereign nations gates mess- messaged messaged I think five or six months ago that smallpox is a big threat and then uh, supposedly was eradicated in 1980 and it was only found in two labs in uh, America and in Russia in DSL level four labs, um, the highest maximum security labs. And yet five days after the sociopath criminal Gates uh, said his prophetic words, a few vials of smallpox were found in an unsecure refrigerator in a uh, Merck laboratory in Philadelphia. And so it, it's not surprising to me now that we're seeing monkeypox. Uh, I anticipate uh, um, global panic about it. That this will be the next media horror narrative that uh, will continue the fear campaign to, and lockdown campaign, and mass campaign to, uh, create anxiety, isolate you from people you love, and dehumanize you with, with uh, these uh, face diapers. And so this is their playbook, and they're gonna keep on uh, sending wave after wave of their evil agenda until we make internal resolutions to kick the evil out from within us. We should, in my opinion, uh, denounce the worship of false gods, the god of technology, the god of science, the god of uh, corrupt governments, money, power, fame, and reconcile our hearts with our creator, who's making us anew every instant in time. Uh, Basically, the the world has now chosen sides, uh, those that will worship the machinations of men, and those that will uh, bow down to the Creator. And so let the calling begin. Um, You know, the world needs a cleaning. And when the process is done, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God, just like the waters cover the seas. And uh, the sociopaths have a big thing coming for them. They think they're gods. They think that they're ruling the world. We'll see. Um, So let the games begin. And I have no problem falling in battle because this is a hill that we need to die. on.
1: Amazing story from Dr. Uh, Zelenko. Again, died yesterday in his hospital bed. Uh, what a great man. And again, saved th- thousands of lives th- through therapeutics that the uh, CDC uh, and uh, this administration refused to allow people to take. And, uh, that message, I think, uh, rings so clear for me and it's so prophetic. I just really appreciate it. All right, coming up, going to visit with Professor Larry Bell and Dad, professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Come back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, Endowed Professor at the University of Houston of Space Architecture. He's also an author of many books. His latest just coming out, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
5: Well, good morning, Bob, and thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, indeed. Tell us about your new book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design.
5: Well, it's my 12th book, and I keep, every time I write a book, I think well, it's the last one, <laughs> and it seems like so far it hasn't been. But in any case, this is, this is a book that's, I wrote it a couple of years ago and I kind of sat on it, n- not really sure I was going to publish it because I don't usually do things that are, you know, autobiographical more. And, and this this is autobiographical, not in a sense of my personal life, but in terms of the different projects I've done, which are insanely <laughs> ranging and because I get involved in different things and, and different parts of my life and they, they kind of take me over and uh, everything from, you know, as an architect, and industrial designer and sculptor and space architect and, and he had a crime prevention program and for the Department of Justice and so on. It's just insane variety of things. And I take them all very seriously when I do them. And uh, I thought there's a lesson in them. You know, my my, my learning experiences in each one. Mm-hmm. And part of the experiences are, are people I've met, you know, people I've known who are very ins- inspirational. to you me. Know, of course, like Buzz Aldrin, we did a book together and, uh, and knew Neil Armstrong was on the board of a company I started and, and yada, yada, yada. So and Jane Goodall and I've had, I've had an opportunity to really know, you know marvelous friends that some were famous in some words, but, but uh, anyway, I did the book and I'm, Guess I'm glad I did. Um, I think it's for me. It's an interesting book. I can't be objective about it because because it's a, it's a bit close to home. And uh, but I asked some friends to read it first. I said, "No, tell me, should I publish this?" And they said, "Yeah, absolutely." So I can blame them.
1: Well, I'll say this: uh, you have led such an interesting life. It's been a blessing to the nation, quite frankly. And the involvement that you've had with our space program, I look forward to reading. Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries: My Life by Design. Professor, when is the book coming out?
5: I think about we'll a couple of weeks. Early, you know, sometime. Sometime, I think within the next couple weeks.
1: So we could probably order it, uh, uh, pre-ordered on Amazon.
5: Yeah, I think so. I haven't got a. I haven't got a release date, but I know it's gone to the printer, and uh, and it should be. It shouldn't be any glitches. So.
1: I'll keep you. I'll keep you. Both, uh, appreciate it, Professor. Now, uh, yesterday, uh, the Supreme Court released its final decisions. One of them was regarding the EPA. And uh, I thought because the, one of my favorite books that you wrote is Scared Witless, The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom, all about climate change and what I consider to be a very phony, uh, I'll call it hypothesis, about the uh, warming of the, of the Earth based on carbon fuels so uh, I would love to get your thoughts about the EPA's decision by the supreme court
5: yeah it's a really, it's a really big deal um, We've known the decision is coming for some time, and I think a lot of us are holding our breath but it's very, very powerful ruling uh, To make it clear it doesn't say that it doesn't say EPA can't regulate you know carbon emissions. what it really says is that they can't re- regulate the whole industry you know the whole energy industry, including the, the energy grids and so on. And it's really it's uh been this hiatus for now for some time over within well, then there's the Clean Power Act which which Congress has a, had approved, you know, years ago. And then the Obama administration had come up with this clean power plan which which was very, very ambitious and it was really purpose to shut down coal plants altogether. Mm-hmm. They did a pretty darn good job of that, you know. They they shut down over four hundred coal plants during the Obama administration, and this and and this coal this clean power plan would have would have uh, was uh, Trump uh, rescinded it and he said you know tore it up, and then the uh, some some Democrat states sued and and cities sued and so on, and then the West Virginia sued back. With about 19 states and with some some other companies, and uh, that's what the decision was about. And but it's it's much bigger than EPA. It says it says basically that, uh, or specifically that, we, the executive branch can't use these agencies to make law, mm-hmm. to just interpret things any way they want, take some some precedent, and then to extend it. And we saw it with. OSHA, you know, mandating the, you know, that companies with X number of people have to have COVID shots or you know, it's it's using using the federal bureaucracy, weaponizing it to make decisions that it was never intended to do partly often because Congress is too feckless to make decisions of its own mm-hmm. and it gave it's given huge power to the executive branch and, and the court says no, there's a major decisions understanding that that certain things are so important to the public and to the nation that we can't let we can't let these bureaucracies run wild and make these kinds of decisions. No, you can't do that. And it's kind of interesting, I thought. I mean, I noticed I have an article coming out today on it, and' max that Breyer, who's you know, re- actually retired yesterday. I quote a statement of his, and he's essentially—I can't quote it verbatim—but but essentially saying that you know when when you have too many two people on one side making decisions, of course you have a tyranny, mm-hmm. and uh, that's exactly what's been happening with with you know weaponizing these federal bureaucracies, and and we see it with the FBI, and we see you know, we see it with OSHA, and we see it
1: CDC with
5: of holding up uh, drilling you know permits and so on. And and that was never intended uh, that that kind of power be be be, uh, turned over, and and we we, you know we see it with Homeland Security with uh, with not enforcing border border laws, and uh, so so the consequences of this I think are really really big.
1: I agree, Professor. It's so refreshing. I mean, you think about uh, Gina McCarthy and uh, what she did on the uh, EPA. Uh, it, it just I felt like she just had no, in, no the interest of American people. She didn't care about the, our well-being at all in fact and uh, her decisions were leading us down a path that uh, frankly I'm just so grateful that the uh, President Trump came along and reversed a lot of those decisions. And this decision to me I quite think, is such a landmark decision to your point. Uh, it, this is not just the APA; it's the CDC. It's so many different organizations that have been weaponized for political purposes.
5: Well, I think so too, and I think you know it comes to mind as Janet Yellen. I and mean, you are supposed to think the Federal Reserve is separate and independent from the federal government. Well, good luck with that. We had Janet Yellen heading heading the Federal Reserve, and now she's heading you know Treasury and pushing all these social credits on, on lending, which again is is targeted on fossil energy and tied in with BlackRock and Goldman Sachs and all their leverage on, uh, you know, it's, it's such a cabal. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, we've allowed it to happen. I haven't read it yet, I just noticed that uh, Kimberly strassel has got an article on this on the Wall Street Journal this morning, and I was just kind of reading it as you call, I really really love what she writes, but she's serving. As, it's not just the executive branch that's what I'm using. It's Congress's fault yeah. for not taking responsibility and letting this happen.
1: Absolutely. Again, Professor Larry Bell, I want to refer you to his uh, Newsmax column. He comes out a couple times a week. Uh, it's called On Point. You can go to Newsmax.com. Again, uh, one coming out today about the EPA Another Dems conveniently forget their insurrection against high court. That That is outstanding as well. I hope you get it. Also, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. I'm looking forward to order it today. I hope you'll get a copy as well. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
5: And Bob, I appreciate it so much. Thank you.
1: My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. On Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. He'll be with us as well as Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author. He's writing murder mysteries right now. They're sequels, and they're very interesting. His latest is uh, No Problem. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden.com. Bobharden at hotmail.com. I said I should say bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. That's how we get the word out. And of course that supports our advertisers as well. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.